That's John, chapter 13, starting at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have watched your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have told you, I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. That's Philippians chapter 2, starting from verse 19, on page 1180. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be chaired by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he asserted me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, on not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, they say of the Swiss that they are precise and polite and punctual, and of the Germans that they are ordered and serious and industrious, and of the Italians that they are spontaneous and social and sunny, and of the French, well... Actually, I was thinking about national characteristics a few years back, and I happened to pass a group of French friends here in St. Helens, just around about there, and it was lunchtime, and I passed their table, and so I said to them, well, how would the French describe the English? To which they replied, we would rather not talk about that over lunch. <laughs> well, I guess all of us can pinpoint specific traits or of particular groups of people, and our subject over the last few weeks has been the defining characteristics of the people of God. 
Paul has used the language of the mind or the soul, and we've defined the mind, the two words are used interchangeably, not so much as something intellectual, but rather what we are on the inside, how we see ourselves, what we think, what we consider constitutes a worthwhile goal in life, what shapes our major decisions and lifestyle behaviors, how we spend our time. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about our mind. Not so much something intellectual, but what we are on the inside, what drives us. And the image Paul has been using in his letter to the Philippians is that of citizenship. So chapter 1, verse 27, rightly translated, has a sort of sense of only let your citizenly conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And chapter 3, verse 20, at the back end of this central section of the letter, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And so last week, I produced my passport. But it's as if every single Christian believer has a new spiritual passport. This is where we really belong. This is who we really are. Now, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is both an individual thing, each of us working out our own salvation, but it's also a corporate thing, every one of us striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We're thinking about each player in a, in a rugby scrum. We're thinking about every member of a Roman shield wall. We're imagining a team in a city merger and acquisition. We're thinking about um, a, a school where all the staff from are working and are on the same page. A couple of weeks ago, we were shown the mindset of the chief citizen of heaven, Jesus Christ. If you look at chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, since he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped at. In other words, because he was God, he, he behaved in an entirely God-like way. And so he didn't take his godness, if you like, and exploit it for his own ends, but rather he made himself nothing. He emptied himself in the form, into the form of a human, being found in the form of a slave. He gave himself over to obedience, death on the cross. But you remember that um, Paul tells us of the Lord Jesus that because he behaved in an entirely God-like way, perfectly so, therefore, verse 9, God highly exalted Jesus and gave him a, the name above every other name. It's as if, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever worked in a place where they have a display cabinet where all the trophies are on display. Manchester City. Uh, and there they are, all the trophies. This is who we are. Um, the army regiment that I served in, you know, all our battle honors were on display. This is what really qualifies us. Or if God were to run a DNA test of, you know, what he's really like on the inside, every single cell of every, you know, part of every organ that made up 
God, if you can put it like that. I know it doesn't quite work like that, but it would be selfless, sacrificial service. And so because Jesus behaved and exhibited God to us so perfectly, therefore God has put him on display, exalted him, given them name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, before we get right into it, it's worth pausing and say, isn't it a glorious thing to be part of something like this? Isn't it glorious to have been given something like this? Have this mind among you, which is already yours. We've had this mind planted within us. It's already ours, and we're part of it. You know, people talk about power, don't they? As if power is always a bad thing, but... This power, divine power, selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted, the eternal mindset of the creator God, it's a beautiful power. It's wonderful to be part of this. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who since he was in very nature God, did not consider equality God thing to be exploited, but made himself nothing. Well, last week, we were told to work out then our salvation. And today, we come to two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So I think some of the Greeks pronounce him Epaphroditus. Um, but anyway, which I take your pick. And we come to these two individuals, and it's a really sort of unusual feature in Paul's letters, because it's as if he presses pause and he gets us to examine these two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And um, you can see verse 19, I hope to send Timothy to you. And verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And it's unusual because that's normally the way that Paul finishes his letters. Pretty much every single one of Paul's letters finishes with greetings from different individuals. But here, Paul has stuck these two individuals right in the middle of the letter. And that has led some writers to say, well, you know, obviously Paul was actually intending to finish his letter here, and then some later person found another bit of one of Paul's letters and just tacked it on, because really this is the end of the letter. It's obvious that when Paul wrote these words, he had not the slightest intention of adding further long paragraphs of warning and exhortation. He is bringing his letter to an end, writes one person, really? I, I was um, leading a seminar on preaching on this letter a number of years ago, and we'd given each participant a piece to give a kind of model sermon on. And one of the young lads giving a model sermon on this passage started his sermon saying, "By of course, I would never, we were in uh, Latvia actually, he said, I would never ever preach on this passage in church on a normal Sunday. Oh, wh why, why not? Oh, because it doesn't really fit in the letter. Now, I think we can do slightly better than that. I want to suggest to us that having laid out the charge to stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side for the faith of the gospel, having given us a description of the chief citizen of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his selfless sacrificial mindset, exalted by God, and having urged each of us then to work out our own salvation, Paul now gives us these two individuals as 
hand-picked examples of what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. And we've had, first of all, Timothy, whose mind affects his cares, if I might put it like that. Have a look at verses 19 um, following. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may too be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy's proven, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, and I trust in the Lord, that shortly I myself will come also. Now, verse 20 requires very close attention. I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word genuinely concerned actually translates the word um, authentically anxious, uh, actively caring, sincerely concerned. So here is Timothy and Paul, and they're both in Rome. And Timothy had become a Christian when he was living in Lystra uh, in Turkey. He had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And he quickly made the decision as a very young man to travel with the apostle Paul in order to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he'd given himself to the work of gospel advance. And he ends up with Paul, and Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And I guess day by day, Paul and Timothy would meet. And there's only one thing on Timothy's mind. He's preoccupied. It's not a casual thing. It's not just put up to look good. He is genuinely concerned about this, anxious even. Each time they meet up, he wants to know, how are those Philippians? I'm really concerned about them. How are they doing? And verse 21 helps to qualify the point Paul is making, if you look at it, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I have no one like him, literally no one like-minded, no one like-souled. They all seek their own interest. Now, that's really interesting because back in chapter 2, verse 2, he'd encouraged the Philippians to have the same mind And in chapter 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it wasn't that that, that they should have no personal concerns for food, for housing, for employment, for family, for pleasure. But let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now here we have Timothy alongside Paul in Rome, if you like, the model gospel worker. I have no one like him, no one like-minded who is genuinely anxious for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so Timothy has the mind of Christ. Timothy is a citizen of heaven, and the chief citizen's concerns are in Timothy's head and heart. And he's preoccupied with the work of the Lord Jesus. 
and the advance of the faith of the gospel. You can imagine Paul kind of casting his mind around the different people who he knows in Rome. I, you know, I could send Frank, but I'm sorry if your name is Frank, but all he's anxious, anxious about is, is his golf handicap or how his football team are doing. I, I could send Francesca, but all she's worried about is whether the accommodation is going to be good enough when, you, when she gets there. I could send Simone, but all that occupies her mind is her relationship status or her social life. I could send Simon, but all he seems to be bothered about is with the end-of-year review. But then there's Timothy, and he's the man. He's genuinely concerned, and he's genuinely concerned for your interests. So I'm going to send him. He has the mind of Christ. Now, a word on example in this letter and on imitation. Philippians is full of example. Chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Well, Timothy is one of those. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And now what Paul has done, right in the middle, the very central part of the central part of the whole letter, having spelled out the mindset of Christ, encouraged us to work out our own salvation, then he gives us Timothy as a model to fix our eyes on, to follow his example. And so it's worth asking, isn't it, who is our role model? Who do we seek to emulate? Well, Timothy's is a good example of someone to follow, someone with the mind of Christ, someone who is prepared genuinely to put the other first, somebody who is authentically concerned for the well-being of the people of God. So, if I may speak very directly, because of the kind of church we are, with the kind of demographic we have, well, it's worth us thinking. Here is Timothy. He's somebody with Bible teaching gifts. And if we're somebody with Bible teaching gifts, well, here is somebody to take as our example. He's a standout across the whole of the New Testament, Timothy. And he determines at a very, very young age, actually, to drop everything And to follow Paul and to go into full-time Bible teaching leadership in order to see the gospel advance. That may be something that, you know, somebody even doing their GCSEs might determine to do right now. This could be me, this Timothy. I could set my eyes on being a church leader like he was and really using my life and my gifts for the sake of the gospel, for the next 40, 50, 60 years. Paul was Timothy's go-to man. He could be trusted. He had the mind of Christ. And I can think of any number of people from this church, from even this congregation over the years, with the mind of Christ, who have determined to put their life to good use in this way someone to emulate. And when you think of the character and the gifts and the strengths 
of Timothy. It's so striking that Timothy determined to devote all his energies to the faith of the gospel. You look at Timothy across the New Testament. When there's a church in trouble, Paul sends Timothy as his troubleshooter. When there's a church to be planted and established, Paul sends Timothy to plant and establish and get the elders going. When there's somebody to leave in charge, Paul leaves Timothy in charge. He is an extraordinary character. He could have been a CEO. He could have set up his own company. He could have been a leader of considerable note. He could have stood for election. He could have become a headmaster. He would have been a senior partner. But instead, he determined from a very, very young age to give himself to gospel work with all the gifts that he had because... Well, he wasn't just concerned for his own interests. He was concerned for the interests of others. It could be you with the mind of Christ, with necessary gifts. It could be a decision you take today. I can think of young men in their early teens at St. Helens who have decided to model themselves on Timothy from an age as young as that and are on the path into paid Christian Bible teaching. Oh, says somebody, but I'm not a Timothy, and, and not all of us will be. There will be different paths for us to follow. Not all of us will have the leadership gifts or the Bible teaching gifts of a Timothy. So, so what does the mind of Christ look like for somebody else? You know, I love this letter because right here we've got these two gems, these Uh, glorious examples of what the mind of Christ looks like. And secondly, we have Epaphroditus, his mind. Well, I put it like this because, I mean, I know it's a bit blunt, uh, but his mind actually affected his health. So committed was he to the advance of the gospel that even when he was sick and on his deathbed, he decided to put gospel work first. We'll get to that in just a moment. He's described so well with just seven words which show us a lot about Apostle Paul and a lot about Epaphroditus or Epaphroditus. Verse 25, do you see how he's described? I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my knees. You see the seven words there, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, minister. If Timothy is as a son with a father, this individual is as a fellow recruit, a co-worker in the office, a sibling. It's just striking, isn't it, how flat Paul's view of church hierarchy is I mean, if anybody was to be a grandstander, it might be the Apostle Paul. And yet he describes Epaphroditus as his brother and his fellow worker and his fellow soldier. How lacking in pompous self-promotion Paul is and how alongside he is every worker. But also, isn't it striking the pictures that Paul uses to talk about Christian family, fellow soldier, fellow laborer, 
brother. And so I wonder, Christians here this afternoon, how we see ourselves in the Christian family. Do we see ourselves as laborers on a building site, as soldiers in a battle, as siblings of the great apostle Paul engaged in the same family endeavor? Fellow laborer, fellow soldier, brother. I wonder, should we all sign on to a building site for a couple of weeks? So we get to understand what Paul understands Christian work to be like. Or perhaps to join a boot camp for a month or two. And so we understand Paul's understanding of Christian service. This is no life on the lilo, laid back religion. No spiritual shades on, shorts out. Cocktails mixed, Kool-Aid fixed. But Epaphroditus is also described as a messenger and a minister to my needs. And he nearly died for the sake of the gospel. So have a look at him in verse 26. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but to me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life, to complete what was lacking in your service for me. So what we've got here is Paul in prison in Rome and the church in Philippi seeing the need to support Paul with financial aid. And Epaphroditus is the guy who sticks his hand up and says, well, look, I'll take the money. And the collection is taken up in Philippi. And Epaphroditus puts his holiday plans on hold, his business concerns uh, to one side, his university place maybe. I don't know what he did, but he actually put everything on hold and he determined to go. There were no automatic bank transfers, no email, no FaceTime, no Zoom call, no Teams. And clearly he was sent by the Philippians to Paul and clearly he decided he would go, dropping everything. And the distance is around 800 miles across land and sea, involving danger from the elements and bandits and sickness. And on his way, he got sick. And his sickness was really serious. And he was near to death. And he nearly died for the work of Jesus, risking even his own life. And so how might you imagine the great apostle speaking of Epaphroditus or writing of him. Well, when Epaphroditus comes to you, just watch out for him, will you? Because he's a little bit intense and, and keep an eye on him. He can go slightly over the top. You know, he even put his life on the line. Uh, make sure he doesn't overdo it. He's prone to being overzealous. Watch out he doesn't get a bit of burnout. He doesn't know when to stop. Doesn't say that at all. Verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. Such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. 
I was studying this passage with a group of bankers many years ago, and they were all board members in their bank. I don't mean that they were bored of being members of their bank, uh, but rather they were very serious, bank, very senior bankers. And we'd finished studying this little passage, and one of them said, one of the most senior there, said, what a relief. I am no Timothy. And he wasn't, actually, in terms of Bible teaching. He certainly wasn't a Timothy. I am no Timothy, he said. I can't preach, and I wouldn't have the patience to lead a church. He was quite right. But he said, Epaphroditus, he's a gospel, and these are the words he used, he's a gospel gopher. (laughs) That is, he just takes the money. He's a messenger boy, and he gets sent 800 miles, and he gives himself to it, and come what may, he is determined for the sake of the gospel that he's going to carry through the task he's been given to do. And so here you have Timothy. Uh, Timothy's an anarian. Timothy is a, a Matt Lacroisette. You know, Timothy is set aside for Bible teaching. Timothy could be any number of people here, actually. Many of you got Bible teaching gifts, and a number of you, I hope, are going to give your whole life to teaching the Bible and leading churches. You certainly could do that. It would be the most noble thing you could do. But not everybody's a Timothy. And there'll be plenty of need for what my banker friend called, rather disparagingly, gospel gophers. And I'm loath to give specific further examples. But you know, every one of us could number any number of people from St. Helens who've given themselves to gospel work who are carrying on their particular job, but at the same time are giving themselves to the work of the gospel. There was somebody leading the prayers this morning in one of our services. Uh, He's a a lawyer. He's determined, because he gets paid far more than he's worth, only to work four days a week and to use that fifth day entirely for gospel ministry of all sorts of different things. He's a church warden in one church. He's doing other ministry somewhere else. What a wonderful thing. I think of somebody else who's an accountant. Ah, they, they're carrying on their everyday work five days a week, but they give themselves to help churches and other Christian organizations with their accounts. I think of somebody else with legal prowess, using their legal abilities uh, to help the work of the church. Somebody else who's a caterer. I don't think they were a caterer originally, but then determined to give themselves and their gifts in catering to, to, to cook for dozens and dozens of people, DIY, whatever it happens to be. Do you know, I was getting on a train in the West Country one Saturday evening. We were in Plymouth. And uh, I got on the train in Plymouth, had to change, got on the train in Plymouth. And I recognized somebody sitting at the far end of the carriage. And uh, I went up to her and I said, oh, I recognize you. You come to St. Helens, don't you? Yeah, I do. Oh, you live down here, do you? Yes, I live down here. What are you doing getting on a train at six o'clock? I'm teaching in Sunday school tomorrow morning. And I popped down to see my family. And there she was, a real Epaphroditus, on the train at six o'clock on a Saturday evening to make sure she was here to teach Sunday school on the Sunday. The mind of Christ. So what do we say of the Swiss? Well, they're precise and punctual and polite. What do we say of the Germans? They're ordered, serious, and... uh, Industrious. What do we say of the Italians? Well, an awful lot. What do we say of the English? 
I'd rather not talk about that over lunch. What do we say of the citizen of heaven? What do we say of the member of St. Helens? Oh, the mind of Christ, who, since he was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, he didn't exploit all his advantages, but rather made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. This is the mindset that God considers worthy of exaltation because this is the mind of God. And in a citizenly body such as ours, well, Paul's longing is that there would be multiple examples of that mindset. Now, we haven't got time to look at Paul's mindset, and so I think we'll leave it right there and come back to that next week. Let me lead us in prayer. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We, we pray, our Father in heaven, that you would enable us to model ourselves on the right examples. We thank you for Timothy giving his life in the service of the gospel as a Bible teacher. And we thank you for Epaphroditus laying his life on the line for the gospel. We pray that amongst our body of 100, 150 of us gathered here, that every single one of us would have the mind of Christ, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.